It's almost Christmas, and what would you expect a pastor who is also a lawyer to talk about? Contracts. <laughs> all right. And we're all excited about it. I'm sure many of you have purchased and financed a new car. And I bet most, if not all of you, never read all of the terms. Because after a while, the, the print is really small, and you don't understand it. And if you got hired a lawyer to, to explain it to you, it would cost you almost as much as the thing you're buying. And maybe you haven't bought a car. Maybe you just simply bought an app or a computer program. How many of you have gone through and read the entire terms and conditions of the use of the app or the program? No, you just click, I accept, and you go on. That isn't the case what we've been talking about with the people of God up until now. We've gone over the last many messages about the Ten Commandments and the ordinances of God. And the people were in attention, and now it's come time to whether they're going to, to um, accept the contract or not. And so we see in, in Exodus it says this, Then he, that being the Lord, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, the seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at, at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up to him. They had kind of messed up their opportunity. God had already given them an opportunity to come near to him, but they were content staying at a distance. And so Moses alone continues to be the man that meets with God, the mediator between the people of God and God. And so the Lord says, I want you to come close, but only Moses is to come near. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now again, they had heard all the words. They had listened they had heard the Ten Commandments. They had heard the ordinances. The Ten Commandments weren't particularly onerous. You know, it's things that we ought to do. Worship the Lord our God. Don't create any graven images. Uh, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. You know, things that in normal society you would say, well, I can live with that. Then there were ordinances, things that we were to live in a society, to be good neighbors, to ex expect justice and equity. And so the people, with all one voice, said, we agree. So they're accepting the terms of the agreement, not saying, well, this is too burdensome to listen to. I'll just check. I accept and go on. They've heard the words. But not only this, it says, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. It wasn't, well, I don't remember him saying that. It was all the words were written down so that we could go back and say, well, I don't remember him saying that I couldn't commit adultery. Here it is. He said it. And so he wrote them all down. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men with the, of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Now notice it wasn't an offering. It was a number of offerings as peace and burnt offerings. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in a basin, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. 
Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. So again, he goes over what the terms of the agreement is, the covenant, the contract. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. We will trust the Lord. We will obey the Lord. Whatever the Lord says, we will do. There's no sense of compulsion. There's no sense of not knowing what's going on. They make the commitment. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Oftentimes in these days, you would offer sacrifice in order to confirm a covenant. And part of that is is what is happening here. But significantly what's happening is the the altar is used, has been placed with blood, making that a holy altar. Making one that is set aside, that, that is set because of the sacrifice. But not only is the altar now holy, the people have been sprinkled with blood and they are now a holy people. Notice that there are certain themes that continue to go through the Scriptures. As we shared uh, several messages ago, that one of God's plans for His people were that we were to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession. And we saw that not only in Exodus, but we saw it as far in the future as in the book of Revelation. So we see that God keeps His purpose. And we're going to see here as another theme that will go over and over again, and that is the blood of the covenant, the book of the covenant. And so God has ordained this covenant. The people have said, yes, we accept. Now, you don't need to be a Bible scholar, and you don't have to wait till the next few weeks' message to understand that the people of God aren't obedient to the covenant. So God does something later that goes back to this time. We find that in a simple verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. It says this, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. You see, just as the blood was sacrificed to create this altar which would be holy and sanctified, that the people would be holy and sanctified, we too now have this opportunity because of the blood of Jesus to be holy and sanctified and not fearing the anger or the wrath of God, but because of the blood that Jesus gave us to give us that sanctification. And in Ephesians chapter 1, 7, it says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This blood of the covenant has been created more not because of the sacrifice of animals, but because of the sacrifice of our Lord. And not only that, in Hebrews chapter 7, 22, it says this, So much the more, 
also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. You see, there was a bunch of rules and regulations with the Old Covenant. There was, you obey these ordinances, you re- obey these commands, and if you do that, all will go well, and it, it was, that covenant was established by the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus establishes a new covenant, but not only does he establish this new contract, he's the guarantee of that contract by his blood, that we no longer have to fear, oh, I messed up on the, the covenant because the covenant is faith in Him. Going back to Exodus, it says this, Then Moses went up with Aaron and Nabab and Abihu and the seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under His feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they, say, they saw God and they ate and drank. This verse causes a lot of consternation because the scriptures also say no one can see God and live. So what's going on here? Are they seeing a vision? Are they seeing him? What's going on? My guess is something similar to what happened to Isaiah when he saw the throne of God. But they saw it from a perspective of God's feet sitting on a sapphire. It's like a blue stone, translucent, like the sky. But the interesting thing is everybody wants to discuss the scene of God. What I think is interesting is when they saw God, they ate and they drank. They had fellowship with him. Just like, again, the theme that tells us in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes again and we're caught up in that rapture, that there is a marriage feast of the Lamb. That we sit down and we eat and we drink and we fellowship in the presence of God. This is what makes it really hard for us to understand that God has offered them what He's offered them. He's offered them a land flowing with milk and honey. He's offered them His presence. He's offered them peace and safety. He's offered them no sickness He's made all these offers. And he told them, let us sit in fellowship with one another. And yet, they wander. And they don't even violate, eventually, one of the ordinances is way back in the small, fine print of the covenant. They start with the very first one. I mean, most of us, when we claim we accept the, the terms and conditions of the, of the uh, program, we've at least read the first three sentences. Then go, ah, this is too long, and I clip and I accept. Even if they started daydreaming, the first one was, you shall have no other gods. But here, 
They sit in fellowship with God. Now, it takes no faith when you're sitting and eating and drinking in the presence of God. It took Saul, who became Paul, no faith when he got knocked off the horse and was blinded, and Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Sometimes our lack of obedience has nothing to do with faith. It has to do with, we just want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And yet they stated very clearly, we've heard and we will obey all the words. And they can't even obey the first sentence. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Wait here for us until we return to you. Behold, Aaron and Ur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. So the situation in here is God saying, I want you to come up further. I'm going to write down on stone tablets things that will endure forever. My words. If there's a problem, you've been taking care of most of it. If it, there's that, those matters that only you can handle, let Aaron and Ur do it. Notice, so he went up and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the clouds. A little aside. Moses is doing exactly what God has called him to do. He's going up on a mountain. He's going to go and meet with God to be delivered these stone tablets that he can give to his people. So why does he have to sit there for six days? Isn't that what we're always wondering? We think we're doing what the will of God is. Well, why is he having me sit here? Why am I sitting here when there's so many things to be doing? There's a whole bunch of people down there who I'm sure are getting in trouble. I need to be there. God is having me sit here. He's already told me what the terms and conditions are. And yet God has called him to wait. Again, another theme. Wait on the Lord and your strength will be renewed. Just because you're sitting and waiting doesn't mean you're on the outside of the will of God. Sometimes sitting and waiting is the will of God. And the eyes of the sons of Israel appeared... Of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Interesting. Again, he's there 40 days and 40 nights. God could do it. I mean, he spoke the world into existence. He did that in seven, six days. Why do we need 40? 
Because God is teaching. And sometimes God is waiting to see if you're going to be obedient. And after 40 days, we're going to see in a little while, not this message, that they violate the very same thing that they said that they would be obedient to. Now, God is writing on stone tablets. And stone is pretty hard. But fortunately, God has decided to write on something harder that will be more effective. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, he talks about that new covenant. And it says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. God is saying, I, not only did I just make a, a, a contract, it wasn't like the party of the first part shall do the party of the second part. It's I treated you as if you were my spouse. I was a husband to you. I loved you. I cared for you. I provided for you. I was there for you. This wasn't, okay, I'll do this because you do that. It wasn't this arm's length transaction. It was personal. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their hearts I will write it. God now in his new covenant will write on something even harder than stone. He will write it on a human heart. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's a contract I'm excited about. Because that contract talks about mercy. That contract says, if I mess up, he forgives me. That contract says that even though I have sinned and I continue to sin, He has forgiven me. Because He has written His law on my heart that I might live it because of His Spirit. It must have been awesome to have been there on that mountain and see Moses and all those people go up to the mountain. It must have been really awesome to have seen the consuming fire and the cloud and the glory of God. But we are so much more blessed because we're not Mount Sinai. We are the temple of the Holy God. He dwells within us. He has written His contract on our hearts. He desires for us to be his people, for us to be his holy possession, for us, as they did, to sit and drink and fellowship in the house of God forever. And that one day we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
that just as God said, I was a husband to them, we are, as the church, the bride of Christ. And how He has provided for us, and how He's cared for us, and how He's loved us, and how He's caused us to be holy and sanctified and without blemish. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says this. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Jesus has established an eternal covenant with you and with me. It's not one that says, oops, you broke the terms, you didn't read them all, you did whatever, and you violated. This says it's an eternal covenant that He is with His people. At this time of season, when we're rushing about buying gifts, hoping for gifts, worried about our credit cards being maxed out, giving gifts oftentimes not because we want to, but because there are strings attached. The brother-in-law and the sister-in-law will be upset if we don't get them a gift. The boss, we got to get them something. We're hoping that the boss will give us a good bonus. Sometimes we may be even excited about getting a gift and we're excited about giving the gift and then there doesn't seem the same excitement back when they receive the gift that we had hoped for. There's all kinds of stress and problems with this season. And yet it represents a time that the greatest gift that we've ever received. A child born to us, who came to live among us, that we might eat and drink and be with him, to be Emmanuel, God with us. And it must have been awesome to have followed him as one of his disciples, to hear him teach, to see the miracles, but even more, to see how he loved. I mean, he loves so purely that people who are used to being abused and used saw his genuine love and came to him. That God has extended an invitation because of the blood of his covenant sprinkled on our hearts and lives. To cause us to not just be holy and separated and righteous for a period of time, but for eternity. That we would become the children of the living God. I don't know about you, but when I come to reading contracts, I'll take that one. 
Where do I sign up? Well, this is how you sign up. If you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and you confess, confess means He is. I did it. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, boss, supervisor. You, doesn't say maybe, kind of possible, shall be saved. The contract applies to you. They said, all the words that you've done, we will do and be obedient. The new contract simply says, I believe Jesus did what he said he did. I believe that he rose from the dead. And because of that, I commit my life to him. Not in perfection, because that's his work. It says, he has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. Not to be good works, not to become good works so that we might justify ourselves, but that he works in our lives to do good. But he changes us. His spirit affects us. His contract is written here. The awesome thing is when we mess up and we get to that place where we need to repent, we need to rededicate our lives, we don't have to write a new contract. We simply go back to where we started and say, Lord, forgive me. And he carries us on. It's not like, well, this is the 87th time you've broken the deal, so now I've got to write a new one. He doesn't do that. Because the blood of Christ creating that eternal contract written in our hearts and our lives is good for eternity. And all God's people said,